I have a, a, a friend who's a songwriter and a, a motivational speaker. Her name is Janice Stanfield. One of my favorite uh, songs of hers is called If I Were Brave. What would I do today if I were brave? When I talk about that and when I've written some stuff about it before, it's like what I think is I love about that particular question that she came up with for that song is that it does not require that you be brave. It, it asks you a totally hypothetical. It asks you to imagine if you were brave, it doesn't judge you for not being brave. It doesn't judge me for not being brave. Then it does, in fact, set us to thinking. It starts right here, deep in your heart. Start right here. Oh, that's where it starts. Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger bring over 90 years of clinical experience to this important podcast, and they offer you a guarantee. You will gain something of personal value from each episode. And now, what matters most? It starts right Here we are again. I'm Tom Rutledge. I'm with Dr. Alan Berger and our uh, illustrious producer, Patrick Newman. Good to see you guys today. We're all starting right here today, right, Patrick? Uh, it's great to see you both. Right. That's, that's all we can do. Start right here. We're going to talk about self-esteem today, and this is going to be to to so tuned into it, but it's like, it's amazing to me how it's taken to be as old as I am now to really understand. It's not new stuff. It's just how much everything is about being in the moment. That's all there is. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, today I'm saying that as if I just discovered it. But look, we do keep discovering it. And, you know, wow. there's a reason, man. It's so hard to just stay with now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a tr trouble with that. My head wants to project mm -hmm. it into the future or go to the past. I mean, I love I love that one saying that one of your nutshell. I love a lot of your nutshell wisdoms. But one of them that I really love is it's okay to go in the past and learn from it. But then get the hell out of there. Yeah, yeah. Learn, 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 learn from the past and get the hell out of there. It's, it's like a burning building. That's right. Because look, you, you know, if I get stuck in there, man, and you know, I've been going through some challenges lately that have, you know, brought something up from my past, and and you know, and if I go get back stuck in there, man, I can get into a really funky place. And then if I realize wait a minute, I was back there and I've learned a lot from it. And that mm -hmm. grounds me in such a different way, Tom. It really does. You, you know, but you know, one of the things that, that I think uh, Lucas, my dog and I were talking about on the, on the walk earlier today, that, that, I, that I'm getting, that it's one of those deals where, you know, I, I always say, you know, hindsight is insight. It's like, we, you know, we always think we're going to have these insights and then change, but really we, we work on our stuff. We try different things. We practice what, we, what we're learning and then, then we change and then we have some kind of insight into it. And what I realized is that, is that, I think one of the be better things about me these days is I no longer uh, drop anchor in any, any particular present moment. And, I, and, and, and so the idea is because I realized when I start to drift, because we're going to do it over and over again, it's like breath counting meditation. How many times are you going to lose count? 
you know, in breath counting meditation, you know, it's like, you're never going to get, I don't, I don't think I've ever been to three, you know, it's like, it's like my, my, my monkey mind goes, goes wandering off. But the idea now, even when I'm feeling bad, or if I, I notice that I'm, I'm oh, ooh, I drifted over here, and I'm worried about something here that I can't do anything about. What I, what I now have is, is that recovery voice in my head knows this, he says, that's okay, you'll be back, you'll be back to the present moment. And just, you know, now, and it just keeps bringing you back. And so it's like, I, now when I wander off, I don't freak out about it. Because that, that's one of the things I've noticed about myself is the more I learned about how, how, I, how, how I mentally messed stuff up, I developed a whole new critic in my head that, that then criticized me about how I did that. You know, so I would learn that I was mean to myself and then I would be mean to myself about being mean to myself. You know, I don't know who among us hasn't lost a significant portion of their life or a significant moment in their life because they were chasing a rabbit you know, uh, That's th thinking they needed to be focused on, you know, the, the, the acquiring of a thing. And then in the acquiring of a thing, you miss the uh, actual important thing. And it's like a life, lifelong practice, right? To figure out how to drill down and experience oh, what's happening that, yeah. but see that's perfect for me in my literal sense because i was i was just i was walking with my dog lucas and and that's exactly i mean sometimes they are actually rabbits but sometimes there are other things but he just we're walking along and he just takes bolts takes off he's chasing something but there's there's no additional thinking about it when when, when he can't catch it anymore when that squirrel's gone up that tree he just comes walking back to me you know okay yeah, he's finished. Are we gonna, are we he's completely done. He's done with what he was doing. Now he's <laughs> ready to come back to you and hang out with right. you. Right. He's not he's not downstairs wonder, worrying about that squirrel that he didn't get. <laughs> not worrying about that at all. But we yeah. would. That's the difference. Oh, right? oh yeah. Yeah, we would worry about it. Came and then, so then we judge ourselves, right? Yes. You know, I wasn't so fat and old, I could have gotten that squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was fat age, I could have gotten that squirrel. That's right. That's right. But that's right. But but I, I don't think we can emphasize that message enough, though, Patrick, too, is that that every every everything we talk about, uh, you know, in our work and in, in certainly on, on this podcast, it's just practice. It's a lifelong practice. And our practice practice is better at sometimes than other times. And hopefully over time it gets better and and, and um, more effective. And, and I think that's I think that's one of the cool things about it. But it's, you know, it's, it, you know, it's not perfection. It's just practice. We have a couple of different ways of saying it. My, my, my nutshell about that, Alan, is just practice makes practice, you know, and it's like, and, and it's amazing how frustrating that is for perfectionists in the height of their perfectionism. But and I like to say practice makes permanent. And that's why you have to pay yeah. attention to the kind of practice you have, because yeah. you are creating these grooves, right? You know, Absolutely. If it's tennis, you know, you're creating these these muscle memories. And if it's if it's if it's relational or if it's a to yourself or others, you're creating certain patterns and habits in terms right. of your relationship with yourself. So it's very, well, and, and, you, know, right. like, and, you know, like what we've talked about. And let's that is the theme for today. So let's mm -hmm. let's state mm -hmm. that explicitly is that today we're going to be focusing on, we talked about self-esteem last time, what it is, and now we want to focus on how, the how. How do you raise your self-esteem? What are some practical steps that you can take in your life on a daily basis, right, to mm -hmm. start to increase your self-esteem? So that's what we're going to focus on today, Tom. Yeah. What's your first yeah. tip? 
What's your first? Well, the, fir the first thing, first thing, I, just bouncing off what you just said is, is it's not only it's, it's not only a daily da daily focus; it's a constant focus. If we look at you know the paths we've already worn, the grooves we've already made, how did we make those? Well, one of the things I, I like to tell people is you did that because of something that a lot of us will roll our eyes at when we hear that and say, "Oh, well, let's do let's talk about affirmations." Well. Uh, you know, because we, you know, we think about Al Franken doing Stuart Smalley and stuff like that. And, and you know, and, and, and he, he kind of put a dent in bringing up inner child work and that kind of stuff back in the day when people start rolling their eyes at it. But, the, but I always tell people that if you don't, if you don't think affirmations work, think about some of the most negative things you, you believe about yourself or have believed about yourself. And, and then remember that the word affirm just means to make firm. So the way we got to be the way we are is what you said. It's why it's, why it's practice makes permanent practice. Thank goodness. It's not actually permanent because we're talking about today saying, taking what we feel like is permanent and starting to make changes with it. But it's, so that's the first tip is constant because the idea is we need, you know, we have all the, you know, I talk about all these little characters, these little messengers in our heads. We have to have that, you know, you can call it what you want, a wisdom voice. Uh, a lot of times in our work, I call it a recovery voice. Uh, you have to have that voice that's on your own side. It's on my side. And that, because that's the one that's going to keep reminding you of the truth and telling you the truth. And it's like, it's really hard at first because it's like an atrophied muscle. And it's in, it's in there, but you know, it's, it doesn't feel very, um, it's hard to trust it because we're much more likely to trust negative thoughts about ourselves than positive thoughts. Even when we start to believe the positive thoughts, we, we trust what's familiar. That's right. We do. We do trust what's familiar mm -hmm. and look, and, and, you know, there's a part of us that with some of the negative messages as we got when we were growing up that we bought those right i mean oh absolutely the way that, yeah. that that the um robert and mary goulding talked about it founders of redecision therapy is they say that we're given these injunctions that begin with the word don't don't be happy don't be comfortable with yourself don't feel good about yourself you know all those things and she says the way they've become so toxic is that there's a part of us that decides to cooperate with that because we as, as twisted as it is, we want to please our parents. And so right. if they give us a don't, we'll go ahead and live up to that don't. So we're a good mm -hmm. son or daughter. I mean, mm -hmm. even though it's going to be at our expense. You know, I heard this one family therapist called it the misguided loyalties. There are uh, so yeah. misguided loyalties is that we are loyal to our parents in, in sometimes very destructive ways. Well, and of course, I mean, that's, that's where we, we are also telling people as we're working with them too, is you don't, you don't blame yourself when you're looking back at your childhood for that. And that like uh, Robert Subby in Lost in the Shuffle says, uh, yes, children were victims as adults were volunteers. You know, it's, it's like, it's, you know, and, and, and we're not even saying that, you know, the parents are, you know, have a war room in the back where they're, where they're, where they're drawing out plans, how to, how, how to fuck us up. It's like, it's like, you know, I mean, there's some, some pretty, pretty bad situations we've run into and, and listened to and have experienced, but you know, we're talking about well-intentioned people passing along what it was that they got. Yes, that's right. You know, and it's, and, and very often making some adjustments to it. You know, a lot of people work off of anti-role models, 
Uh, it's like whatever. I don't know how to, I don't know how I'm going to parent this child, but whatever I do, I'm not going to do this and this and this because that's what my, my, my father did, you know, and, and that works to a degree. Yes. But it's not you got to you got to also find what some role models that are like, OK, what do you do instead? You know, I think my uh, my dad probably ended up um, repeating some of the parenting mistakes that his dad had with him, uh, despite his best intentions. Like, I don't I don't think it was according to the plan, the kind of, you know, some of the kind of stern, more stern authoritarian things that uh, my dad did, you know, to pass on to me. But uh, I think some of it, it just happens like unconsciously. Yeah. Well, and, and just doing, yeah, doing what seems right. And, and yeah, and it's interesting you say that because in my, in my case, I found out only after my, my uh, grandfather had died and, and uh, he, he lived, my, my, my dad's dad had lived with us my whole life until I was 17 when he died. Uh, turns out he was, you know, he, he, did, he stopped drinking at some point along the way. So, so we didn't even know he ever drank at all in our family because you sure don't tell family secrets you know it's like like but he you know he was horrible to my father and neglectful and beat him on a regular basis and stuff and, and so my dad in, in in fact did a lot of that that anti-role modeling stuff uh, Patrick he was one of the problems I have working through stuff in therapy with my dad is he was so passive you know he was I mean it's, it's like there was there he would do there was I could over I could overpower him just by having a thought or wanting something or whatever, he was just not going to give me any of those parental boundaries. And that's because, because of the anti-role model, right? Yeah. Because he, because, because he was beat down. First of all, he was beat down and full of shame because of how he was raised. But the other thing was, I really, you know, I believe my dad trying not to do what his dad did. It's confusing. Yeah, no, there there's, it is confusing, but it's look, what we're saying is that it's very important for you to get in touch with some of these things that undermine your self-esteem because when you've got these these kinds of programs running in the background or i like how you use the word app sometimes when you talk about it you got the you know what kind what is the app that's running in the background mm -hmm. in your mind right you know mm -hmm. is it the low self-esteem app you know mm -hmm. so that you're filtering everything through that is it i'll never be good enough app i mean what app is running that you've yeah. got you know and, and this, and to discover this is a very important thing. And now how can people discover it? Well, I think that there's a couple of ways, you know, I really do like using um, sentence completion work on this mm -hmm. stuff. What, you know, I, I sometimes give a, an exercise to people when they're exploring this kind of stuff is to say it, the root of a sentence and then finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. If I felt more worthy, I would it would be a good one. So you can start to mm. get at your, what would happen if you were actually had more worth in your life. Some of the messages I got growing up about my worth were, mm. and fill that out. So these things allow you, any incomplete sentences like that, mm -hmm. allow you to start to bring to the surface, right? Become aware yeah. of and conscious of some of the things that are going on about your attitude towards yourself. Right. Um, if my unworthiness could talk, it would say what? Mm -hmm. See, that's mm -hmm. another one I've used sometimes with people. See, these things are to, to help you get in touch with some of these things that are in the back of your consciousness, but we're right. asking you to bring them forward. 
Right. It's the app that's running behind, mm-hmm. you know, you're the, what the app that's running out in front, mm-hmm. like on my computer right now. There's a few things. Well, the, in some of the questions, the, the question, a couple of three, three of those questions, I think, all fell in the category of hypotheticals. And, it's, and I, I love hypotheticals with this stuff because, because you know, what you're doing is you're, you're helping to free somebody's imagination. I have a, a, a friend who's a songwriter and a, a motivational speaker. Her name is Janice Stanfield. One of my favorite uh, songs of hers is called If I Were Brave. What would I do today if I were brave? When I talk about that and when I've written some stuff about it before, it's like what I think is I love about that particular question that she came up with for that song is that it does not require that you be brave. It, it asks you a totally hypothetical. It asks you to imagine if you were brave. It doesn't judge you for not being brave. It doesn't judge me for not being brave. It, it says, but it, then it does, in fact, set us to thinking. And one of the things that, that we have to do in order to, to, to move from, from where we are now that feels uncomfortable to, you know, you're talking about the how-to, because it's not like we have a set of self-esteem guidelines sitting in the back waiting for us to go switch them out. It's not, not another app. It's not another, you can't just up, upload it. It's like we have to start thinking, you know, mate, you know, like what you and I talk about a lot of times, even when we're talking about negative thoughts, can we just get to the place of reasonable doubt? You know, maybe I'm not a complete motherfucker. Yeah, that's right. how's that for a reasonable? Well, I, love, I love that, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's reason. I love how you bring in the reasonable doubt stuff. I've heard you say that before. Yeah, anyway. yeah. yeah, you know. So, so that's one area, right? So, if you start to identify these things, bring them to your consciousness. There's a very important process that takes place, especially when you start to see some of these. These, these, what we call these concepts about yourself that are so self-destructive mm-hmm. and are interfering, you know, you get to challenge them. You know, as kids, we couldn't challenge these things, but now as adult, and you know, as adults, we get to have to weigh in with the, our opinion towards ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't need to just buy what somebody else has said to us. So that's a very important thing in this. And I know, I know that you, you know, even with what you're saying now, even if it's just adding some reasonable doubt to, to the discussion. It's, it's, it's questioning it. Like what you just said, we have to question it. It's, yeah. it's, that's the thing. It's like what, because the, those, those, the things, the, the things that bring us to a place of crisis where we're, where we're going to a support group or we're talking to a therapist or we're in trouble. We want to, or listen to this podcast, trying to figure out what I can do. We're in that place because most of us could at least could take, take us back to the place where I hadn't even considered the fact that I, that I could question that stuff. It never occurred to me. Cause I mean, that's one of the things that we, we do when we get into conversation with people about this is like what we're really saying and sometimes I say it quite literally they tell me something about themselves and I'll say are you sure and they kind of look at me like I'm crazy because they just told me something that they considered a fact about their 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 failure self or their this or that go like are you sure have you looked at that carefully is it possible that is it possible that there's there's something more to you than that yeah that's right yeah. there you- so that's that's inserting that 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 little bit of doubt right in this whole thing reasonable doubt about that. So well, and, and the, the, one more thing though, because you, something you said was really important about that, which is to, to for for us to really work and you know because this has to be this the daily practice of this sometimes is about is about doing things but sometimes it's in this in this work it's about thinking and really focusing on this and it really we really do you're talking about challenging people to really challenge themselves really to the idea of of 
is it, do I believe it's possible that I could change this? Not just that I, that I may be wrong about oh, that. That's a good do, one I be, do, I be, do I believe it's possible to change it? Because you have to believe that something is possible for and your motivation. And see, you've got to understand what you think about change. I mean, because changing something doesn't mean you're going to automatically be able to do it different, oh, right? Absolutely. But changing something starts with something that's very active, but, we, but it sounds passive. It's called acceptance. Mm-hmm. This is where I am. Yes. This. You know, I, 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 you know, another one of your nutshell wisdom. If I just accept myself every day as I am, I will mm-hmm. change. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah it's, I, it's, I mean, it's right. Like, it's, well, it, that's the one in, in simple truth that we've been discovering. Is as I've discovered, I wrote a book. I think about emo, uh, emotional sobriety before I, you know, before I even knew anything about any recovery, even. But. It's yeah, it's and I actually even call that one a guarantee. That's the name of it. A, a guarantee. If you every day you accept exactly who you are, you will never stop changing. That's right. You will never. And stop it's like changing. it's it's like and it's that's so counterintuitive to us because we think we have again. I think our conscious minds overvalue themselves. <laughs> you know, they think they think that, uh, I always think I got to figure all this stuff out myself instead of instead of like you're saying. A lot of times, it really is the nitty gritty work is getting in there and listening and considering the stuff and trying different things. Just try this on. That's right. Well, that's the other thing is to, to loosen up about those things. So, so here's another thing that I think is that, you know, I've been a big fan of Dr. Nathaniel Brandon. And if you mm-hmm. really want an in-depth study about what self-esteem is, just pick up any of his books. I mean, they're all solid. I mean, his, his one of the last books that he wrote before he passed away was The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem, which I think is, is a great summary of his work, but any of his other books, you know, he's got one on taking responsibility. He's got a whole collection of things and um, any of those will just, they're, they're just a Trevor trove of, mm-hmm. of insights and wisdom. But one of the things that I love that he says, he says, just think about when you start your day, write down five things that you would do if you brought 5% more awareness or consciousness to your day. Wow. Just 5%. Five. Just, yeah. he's, saying, he's saying, let's not set this. You don't have to, you know, double it. But right now, just take 5%. If you brought 5% more consciousness to your relationships, if you brought 5% more consciousness to your work, if you brought 5% more consciousness to your relationship with yourself, what would that do? What, how would you be different? See, it's back to that theoretical thing, right? Imagining yep. on it's how hypothetical, you, absolutely it's hypothetical, and it's mm-hmm. it's such a powerful way to change. Imagine if you felt five percent better about yourself today. Mm-hmm. If you didn't, if you no longer tried to prove you were good or that you weren't bad, right. Right. Put 5% right. energy right. toward that. What would your day be like? Or, or even, with, I'm, I'm just playing with that now, but the, the, even without the, the, you can do the percentage. But the other thing is just, just the concept that, that the idea, like, like uh, something that was akin to what I was saying earlier that I was lear- learning about myself is, is, is how, would, how would your day be better if you knew that h- however you felt in any given moment, you didn't have to stay that way? Yeah. You know, because so often, you know, that, that's what I, this is what I call the live compartmentalized time that the saboteurs have is. So if, if my day goes bad by two o'clock in the afternoon, 
then the truth is the, the, the belief inside of me used to be that the day's how's the day bad day yeah. they screwed it's gone it's like you know i see that with people with with addiction you know if if they if they if they you know they, if they relapse or if they get they get themselves in trouble and stuff like that well uh, the addiction says well i got you till you know you know, if it happens on Thursday, I got you till Monday. If it happens, you know, in October, I've got you till the first of the year. But it's always a compartmentalized time. It's I had I had a young woman in one of my groups one time that just said, I finally figured out that I can count 24 hours from any time of day. And it's like, it, yeah, it took me about as long as it, I like watching your face. That's what I did. It took me a minute. I had to go, had to go like, oh, yeah, well, that would change everything. Because, you know, and then that's that, the, the other joke that you and I've used before is like, if you fall down, if, if, I, if I go outside and take a walk and fall down, I don't say I'll get up tomorrow. You know, I get up. And that's what we have to do. We have to, you know, what, what could be different? And I love that when, when the, you're talking about those questions is because they all inspire you to look at how you could, how, what would you change? How much would you change if you had had a little bit more. Yeah, my early experiences in therapy, um, I had an inner program that I was running that I was just so convinced was things that were concrete were actually liquid, you know. And uh, and then the emotional sobriety, right, is about um, you know taking a taking a fact and then you know applying some consciousness to it, right, so that you know you're not just letting that fat fact sit by mm -hmm. itself. That you know you're. Uh, you know, you can adjust, you can make adjustments, you know, around the things that happen to you in your life and, uh, you yes, know. make it work for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. I, that's one of the, the complaints I always have is, 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 is if I hear things that make me think about th uh, therapists selling, uh, I call it th selling therapy off the rack, you know, that ba basically they're, they're not tailoring it. It's like, you know, these, are, these are the folks and I'm not saying that, I mean, I'm sure that there are times where I've, I've been guilty of this, but the idea that if, you know, that's, that's where we get the idea of resistant clients, you know, it's like, like if a client doesn't, doesn't, isn't doing what I, you know, what I want them to do or responding to, to my amazing wisdom, the way I want them to respond, then they're a difficult client. Uh, but I heard, I heard Richard Bandler one time uh, say, uh, there's no such thing as, as resistant clients. There are only inflexible therapists, you know? Yeah. I love, I love that except for when I'm dealing with a resistant client. So, so. <laughs> oh man. But we're also talking about another theme that you and I have too, and that's lowering expectations that you get more done when you bring the expectations down. Like, like when you're talking about uh, 5%, uh, five, I love 5%. That. Yeah. yeah. If you had this and though you don't have any of it now, what if it was just a little bit more? Yeah. And see, and, and you know, we're back to the paradox again. And to get there, you've got to own that you have high expectations. See, it, it's, it's absurd. Mm -hmm. You know, it was funny. I, I was talking to one of my buddies the other day, who's going through some physical stuff, you know, a mutual friend of ours that we know mm -hmm. that's, that's dealing with mm -hmm. some physical problems right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and he's, you know, really struggling with making a decision, what's the best treatment and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's trying to decide what's going to preserve his level of functioning, right? Before he had this right. problem, what we call your pre-morbid level of functioning. Mm -hmm. And I wrote to him and I says, you know, I just realized with everything you've just shared to me that I've had this expectation in my life that I would grow old. Of course I would. Mm -hmm. and, and be and hopefully become wise 
Mm-hmm. But I always expected that I wouldn't change physically. <laughs> I mean, and I say it out loud. It is so darn absurd. But I can't tell you how my mind seems still young and alive and vibrant. And then I tell my body to go do that. It goes, what? Are you oh, no. kidding? Sit on the floor and then have to get up? Are you nuts? You sit down there no. with the kids. It's going to take us 20 minutes to get off the floor. I know it. No, I think I think that. Oh, I know. I know that the other the other day I was, I was trying to, to just hook the, my dryer up to the to the to the wall the, the, the vent thing, and it's like getting down the floor was hard. Uh, then I got down there and I didn't have my glasses, so I couldn't see anything. So I had to get up and go back. It's like it's like it's like no, nah, nobody ever told me about that stuff. And it's it's. Uh, uh, but but you know the thing about that though, and, and this makes me kind of this kind of makes me uh, grieve what I. Did didn't know we kind of wish I had known this about all the old people in my life when I was a young person because because I go like oh my god they didn't they weren't old they just were in those old bodies you know because you know I, I every I'm talking to a 30 something year old person you know you know I'm, I'm Patrick Peer as long as you know just as long as as long as somebody doesn't mention something you know or there every now and then somebody will call you sir you know and kind of blow the blow the illusion of the thing but it's like you know I, I sometimes ask people well, what's what age are you really and I, I go like I'm 35 you know that's that's what I figure you know some people go younger some people go older but it's like it's like you go like I'm not 60 I'm not 67 that's that's for sure but you know but i am <laughs> you are 67 my when body somebody, is when when you first were called sir was it like a lash <laughs> it was just weird at first and then you go through the period where you get offended by it and then i, re- I, I then i stopped doing that i stopped t- i would tell people please don't call me that it's you know we'll do that joke or don't call me mr rutledge mr rutledge is my father you know it's it's like uh but it, it then I realized I was always telling, you know, young, nice young people who had been brought up right to, to, to have good manners and, and to respect their elders to not. So, so then, then I just decided that this was probably about two or three years ago. I, I remember telling Didi, I just said, I said, I'm going to stop telling people not to call me, sir. Or if they call me, Mr. Rutledge, I'm not going to insist that they, they just have to stop doing that because that's just me being offended by my age, you know? So it's, it's, but it is, it, that's the most important, that's the, if, if you ask people, Patrick, what it's like to be, to get older, to, to grow old, the word that comes to mind more than, that comes up more than any other that I could I like to ask to people that, and it's just, it's weird. It's just weird. It's not what we thought, like Alan said. No, it's not what we thought. Yeah, I sort of, you know, thought somehow my body would just still be able to keep on functioning the way it's always functioned. Because there is that difference. It's so true when you say in your mind, my mind still seems so young in so many ways. It's almost like it doesn't, if it ages at all, it ages in terms of that I'm aware of more things and have more not a fund of Yeah, I love that part. Uh, I'm smarter, I'm I'm wiser. My knees hurt. My knees, my back is sore. Last week, I, you know, I was struggling with my back being out. Yeah, my God, yeah. you know, I threw my back out going to pick up a bagel for Maddie. There you go. <laughs> a little bagel. Give me a break. It's like not 250 pound deadlift. Mm. It was a bagel. <laughs> yeah, if you, and if you had had 5% more wisdom, you wouldn't have done it. I was like... <laughs> He's, you know, eight years old. Her back is yeah. still okay. 
That's right. Oh my goodness. So that's one thing, you know, is, is, mm. is own, make these absurd statements about how you think you should be, you know, mm-hmm. my, my body still should be able to do everything I did when I was 20 years old. I mean, mm-hmm. oh my God, you know, it's not, you know, when I say it out loud, I realize how absurd it right. is but when it's in my head. There seems yeah. like a truth to it, you know. You're talking about comparing ourselves to what we and what we thought or, or actually didn't think was going to happen, uh, but in this case, sometimes it's about comparing to other people, right. and sometimes it's, it's specific people. But a lot of times, it's their comparison. You know, the, the old compare and despair line in AA that I, I love that one. And it's like it's like is the idea. Yeah, it's, it's, that's right. It's sort of like, it's sort of like, oh, I should be able to, you know, these other people do this and I should be able to do that. And it's like, not, a, not necessarily why, you know, it's like, we, you know, we want to get, we want to get out of these, these broad general statements that become these scripts that are, that are, uh, that, that come from those injunctions you're talking about from the beginning. That's right. That's right. Those, we, we, we rewrite the script recorded in our own voice. It's not, it's no longer in the, another person's voice. It's in our own voice. So when you ask somebody, well, wh- why do you think that? Well, I just think that, you know, who told you that? Oh, I told myself that it's like, well, not originally. It may, it may not even be a person that told you that very thing originally, but it was a circumstance and it was how you were, how, how you, how you interacted with other people. That's how we learn. So in the, in the frame of self-esteem, so if acceptance is like the fundamental starting place, re- recognizing where you are, then what, what's, the, what's the next step, would you say, uh, when it comes to like, you know, recognizing your own self-worth and moving towards a place of more self-acceptance? Or- well, I think, I think we've hit the second part. If somebody write this down, <laughs> we may be coming up with something. It's like the first part is acceptance. The second part is, is um, doubt. You know, give yourself the, the, the ability to doubt. Like we're, t- we're talking about reasonable doubt, but it's, it's like just the idea that, that it's the maybe not thing. Maybe this is not set in stone. I think that's, that, that opens up the possibility. Having the imagination that better yeah, is yeah. possible. Yeah. Yeah. If we're making a list here, I think one of the things too, that there's a place that we've been dealing with this a lot in the Thursday night group uh, with, with the uh, fourth, fifth and sixth step is like uh, th- one of the one of the tougher parts is do you, do you need to, to at some point engage other other people you have you, need, you know it's like we we you know we've all tried to change ourselves in isolation we've all tried to do, do all kinds of different things but it's like we need you know and it doesn't mean you have to tell everybody in the whole world but but uh, you you do need to begin to talk it doesn't have it can be therapy but it doesn't have to be therapy it's just you need to begin to make something real by talking about it with somebody else and get to be able to get some feedback to get some other perspective um and also i think to talk to somebody else about something that feels vulnerable first of all it gives you it gives you a, hopefully an experience that vulnerability is part of strength not weakness which is something most of us don't know at the beginning of this um but the other but the other thing is is there's something about just making it more real when we admit it out loud to somebody else that's right no i think that's powerful man because i think what happens patrick is that you know, we're always moving towards um, our wholeness, right? If we don't get in the way. And there is an organismic wisdom that we have. Just like if you are out of 
um, equilibrium with your temperature, right? If your temperature is off, your body's going to automatically do things to get your temperature back to the right place. Well, you don't do that consciously. That's part of your autonomic nervous system doing that. We have an autonomic nervous system that's psychologically um, focused, not just physically focused. And if we stay out of our way, we start moving in a direction of being able to change some of the things that we want to change. It's amazing how powerful that is, is if we're working with someone, I know Tom is experienced, it's just like if I have, as soon as let's say I've opened up their po a possibility for someone, mm -hmm. meaning I've said something to them that now makes it possible for them to say something that they've been needing to say, mm -hmm. all I need to do is get that started. Because something inside of them is going to continue to find the other words that they need to say to heal themselves. Mm -hmm. But they've got to have that moment where it begins, right? And that's an acceptance. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been saying what I want. Let's try on, you know, let's own what that re reluctance is and then let's start to deal with it. I've seen a lot of people just get into if, if they're sitting there and, and they have this thing of this, what I call this defiance towards a parent. I will not give you the satisfaction of my success. Let's say I worked with this one young man that his dad was on him all the time. You should be like this. You should be like this. Very bright young man. And he continued to disappoint his father. And, and he, you know, part of him is baffled. It's like, why can't I do this? And I says, well, let's figure it out. So I had him say to his dad, I won't give you the satisfaction of my success. Fuck you. Mm -hmm. Right. And I had him start to say, well, you wouldn't believe what came out. I would never, I never want to see you feel good about it. You've made me feel like shit my whole life. And now it's my turn to get back at you. I, I didn't have to find encouragement. Gusher. You got, you found, you, you hit a gusher there. It's like, you hit yeah. a gusher. And see, that's, that's what's inside of us, Patrick, is he wanted to say all those things for so long. He didn't feel like he could say it because he wanted to be a good son, right? He couldn't say that kind of stuff. Because his self-concept, right, left that out, right? Excluded mm -hmm. those kinds of things. But what we did, and, and obviously in the work that we were doing together, made that a possibility. Made it a possibility for him to say what he dared not never say. For him to express what he would never express directly to his dad. Because he felt his dad had all the power. Well, he really didn't. You know, his dad doesn't have that power. In fact, he proved that. He showed his dad who had the power because he, you know, his natural course of, of events, if he would just follow who he is, he would have been successful. Right. It took a lot of energy for him to, to, to sabotage his success. Well, and, that, and that's a great example if we're, if we're making whatever th third point or whatever it is about sh involving other people in that case, because what you're talking about is not, it's not like that young man is, is sitting there with that option and he's choosing not to take it. It's the options there, but it's, but it's not even in his line of sight. 
right. It's like it's like it's only it's like what, you know, one of the things I think that we do is is we go into somebody's life and we, I go into somebody's consciousness with them. And it's like and, you know, and then some people have more of a, of a linear way of working with folks. You know that I, I don't know how to walk a straight line, much less think one. It's like but it's it's you know what you did there was you went, what's this over here? You know, look at this. And it's like, I mean, if, if we could come into, we could come into each other's physical space and have that experiment, and look around and go like, what do you notice here? And you go like, well, what's, what's this thing? And go like, oh, I hadn't even noticed that. I didn't even think about that. And, but you open that up and, and immediately he's got, he, you know, and, and that's a great example out of his way. He, he's, it's, it's one, you're basically, and that is it too, man. We are, we are helping, you and I are helping other people do this, but, but we are, it's always about getting out of the, out of the way. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting when I, when I talk to chiropractors of all people, there's like, they, they, they think this way. They do. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they think, they think truly organically, holistically, the idea of, of we need the body, the body is, is, is naturally going to be healing itself. We just need to be sure that, that we're not, you know, where you're getting stuck. We need to help you get unstuck. We, yeah, and, and it's it's like, and it's amazing. Yeah, and I think that's that's well, you that's, that's truly holistic thinking. Oh, it's it's to, holistic yeah. thinking, and you've even helped me with that. You know, with the recent thing I'm going through, that this one guy's been stalking me now since 2016, mm -hmm. and he continues to harass me and and you know tries to sabotage. And up to this point, I've just been taking it and taking it. There's a part of me that felt guilty and ashamed and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you helped me with this to say, hey, it's time to let go of that. Now I'm trying to find a way to stand up. You know, I'm yeah. thinking about filing a restraining order on this person. If that's not mm -hmm. it, maybe a civil mm -hmm. suit. But I'm, I'm done with it. I'm done with taking mm -hmm. it. And that would have happened naturally had I not stopped myself with mm -hmm. my guilt. Mm -hmm. yep. So this is this stuff is powerful. This is very powerful. And that's that's one of the things that that I think that. Tom and I really share, Patrick, is we have an unshakable faith in humanity. Hmm. Is that when somebody really starts to open up and start to do the work at this level, they're able to become what they've always wanted to be in their life. They're able to be what they can be. Hmm. And we got a lot of stuff that gets in our way. You know, you're not made to feel bad about yourself, man. When you're first born, you just accept yourself as you are. You don't have all these rules in your head about who you should be and how you should be. You just are. And that's the next level. It's not like when you get self-esteem, you're, you're better than or less than anybody else. You just are. It's not an issue anymore. There's not even a comparison. I mean, it goes out the window. Yeah. It's just your, what did you call it, Tom? Being, right? You're just. Being. It's about, it's about being. Yeah. It's, I love what you just said to too. First of all, it just, it just felt when you said we, you said that we have this in common and, and an unshakable uh, uh, faith in humanity. And I thought I had, a, I had a little meeting real quickly and went, do I? I'm not sure. It's like, yeah, I think I have exactly what he's talking about. Because one of the things I, th I thought about when you said that and talking about clients is, how often it comes up where I will say to somebody fairly early on in their process, listen, you can do this. Yeah. I, I promise you, I'll say, I promise you, you can do it. Now I, and the truth is, it, you know, somebody, if somebody asked me and it's probably somebody has that, they have at times that what, why do you think? I said, 
if I didn't, here's the thing. You're not paying me to, to make you feel better. You're paying me to be honest with you and, and to help you out. It's like, it's like, so, so, uh, I said, if I didn't think that what, you know, the way that would have played out in therapy is I would not have said it. It wouldn't come up because, but, but I say it because I can just feel that you're, you, you have what it takes to do this work, you know, and it is, it, 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 that, that what you just said is, is validating to me that, that because because that's not me just blowing smoke. That's me go really believing that not only that that person can do it, but that I think that one of the things that is often missing for people we see is they've never had somebody believe in them. Yeah, that's right. I love that part of our job. Oh, me too. It, it is a beautiful part to, to go like, I, cause it's, cause it's like, that's not hard. I, you know, when I get to know somebody, I go like, no, no, I, I can, I can root for you. I can believe in you, you know, and I can share that with you, you know, and I always own that, you know, I got the easy job. They're the ones that have to go through the stuff. It's like, like, but, but, uh, but that's a beautiful part of it. Well, and look in back to one of our earlier things, and I, I don't, you know, I do believe some people have lost touch with that completely and have become evil. It's not like, I don't think mm-hmm. that there's evil people out there. Yeah. But I think they've lost their humanity or got so buried or they were so abused or whatever mm-hmm. that they just can't find it anymore. And those are the lost souls, man. Those are the people right. that, that we've we've lost in our lives. So people of the lie. People of the lie, as Scott Peck called mm-hmm. it. And it really, if you want to read a great book about it, that's mm-hmm. another it is. It's wonderful. Hold of as well as his first book. You know, the road less traveled, mm-hmm. the road less traveled, you know, was opening up. I had a great thought the other day, Tom. I, I said, it's very mm-hmm. interesting to me. You know, when you look at things like what is a, I mean, a mega bestseller in terms of psychology. Mm-hmm. Let's take his book, The Road Less Traveled. Mm-hmm. Let's take um, somebody's that I'm, I'm familiar with his more book, the Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, six and a half million copies have sold. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. now, think about that. There's 360 mm-hmm. million plus people in our country. You know how many million copies have sold Stephen King's books? How many? A lot more than six and a half million. Mm-hmm. 20 million, 30 million, mm-hmm. 40 million. Yeah, yeah. Listen to this, this one author, he's a religious author and, and he's very good. I can't remember his name right now, but he's got, a, he's got over 150 million books in print. Of books? books. Oh, oh, you know, in different books. You mean he, of all his books, he has oh, 150, 150 million in print existing on the planet. Yeah. Wow. 150 million copies. Six and a half million, man, search for meaning. Yeah. Think about this. I mean, there's something that happens. It's like, you know, there's yeah. some amazing ideas out there, but there's something still not our consciousness, our collective consciousness is still having a hard time embracing this. It's a road less traveled. Peck was mm-hmm. right about this. I mean, it's a right. road less traveled. Right. Anyway, this is a great show, Tom. Um, what do you think mm-hmm. we're going to do next time? You got an idea about where you'd like to dig into? It's hard to have an idea right now because I'm I'm way into this one. It's uh, well, let's keep this dialogue. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, yeah. Because I like. Well, I like <laughs> self esteem part three. Can I make a Can I make a pitch to you guys real quick? Yes. Yeah. Pitch. pitch oh, it. Yeah. Um, uh, I've heard uh, 
Dr. Berger talk about some of his early experiences working at a mental hospital. You were a clinician, Tom, uh, right, at different places. Some of your early careers and anecdotes and experiences, I think I, I would be find very entertaining. I think others might. I would love to do that. I, I started, I, my first my first job was in a state hospital in Missouri. So it's oh, like- let's so go ahead and plan for that next time. So let's sign off now, you guys. See you later, Patrick. Bye. Until next time. Bye. It's a the circle goes round, round, round. The four solutions being our friend. Never say never in either direction. Look in the mirror and trust the reflection. Deep in your heart. Where the stars